listener production. Okay, are you recording? Hey crew, welcome along to episode 165 of the Howie Games Part A, the next chapter, featuring a pioneer in Australian sport, Ange Postacoglu. Nick Walsh blows the final whistle. Another phenomenal performance from Ange Postacoglu Celtic on the big stage. This was never really in doubt from the off. As I said in the intro, this is the next chapter episode with Ange as he has been on the show before way back on episode 12, six years ago. And by gee, has Ange been busy since he first joined us. Now, if I were you, I'd go back and listen to Ange on episode 12 so you can fully set the scene for yourself to get a full understanding of just where Ange has come from, from coaching the under-12s at Paran High School as a 12-year-old himself, yes, he coached his own Year 7 team, to now being the manager of Celtic Football Club, one of the biggest football clubs on the planet. So you search and try to find, but you don't know where to go. So many thoughts flood through your mind. You're confused and want to know, mystery, what is to be? So much more than meets the eye. Listen to me, time is your key. You will find out by and by. Now, by the way, MJ <laughs> has got the Howie Games on TikTok. So just get your little TikTok operation open. TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. Search at the Howie Games and you'll be getting some joyous video content right there on your phone. So followers, what about that? Pickle wants us to open a Snapchat account. <laughs> Not sure we'll be snapping any chats in the near future, though. Technology. Okay. If you have a story of persistence and self-belief that you're about to hear from Ange, uprooting his family to Japan and winning, being told no, 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 countless times by European clubs, Ange takes us behind the scenes of how he won the Celtic job to again being ridiculed to once again winning. This is a football history lesson, a life lesson, an episode full of bloody great lessons to not put too fine a point on so many lost and left behind And no one seemed to care Those who should seems like they're blind Pretending they're not there Can't they see they hold the key Could make things better if they try Oh my Jaja, tell me why Won't they open up their eyes Alright, if you are up against in a job, at school, in your sporting team, if people are saying to you, no, 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 you cannot do that, well, have a listen to Ange, then go and get it done, just like Ange, a man that was repeatedly told no and now has songs sung about him. What about that? <laughs> Makes you smile. Enjoy the next chapter with Big Ange. So when you search and then you find And know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be Revealed in King Selassie I Come on children, try it with me We want to reach Mount Zion I Welcome to the Howie Games, a man that was on in episode 12 on the 11th of November 
2016, where the show was nothing. This man was a star, but by gee, his star has risen. So we're going to call this the next chapter because that's what it is. Ange, unfortunately, you're in Sydney, I'm in Melbourne, but by gee, it's good to see you back on your home turf and king of the world. Yeah, no, uh, fair to say we both kicked on all right, mate. Oh, we've, you we've done have. okay since <laughs> since then. No, you, you, you as well, mate. But uh, I do remember that. Actually, it was just uh, post the Asian Cup and it was uh, – I kind of thought, uh, you know, I've, I've done pretty well to get to where I am. And, uh, yeah, six years later, it's or seven years later now, it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing what's happened. Well, you were launching your book at that stage, um, and I remember we did it at your publishers. Actually, I'm going to play you something right off the top, Ange. It is so good to see you. I'm going to play you how we finished that podcast because I was listening to it on the way up. So this is you uh, six years ago on the show. So this is pretty much the last thing we spoke about. Oh, mate, I go off because I'm a Liverpool supporter. Mate, in the middle of the night, I'm going off. I'm I'm giving the coach pelters and all that kind of stuff, the stuff I hate that comes my way. I I, I can. I can watch it as a fan. I still love it. Could you coach Liverpool one day? Yeah, look, why not? I mean, you know, you sit here and you go, no, it isn't going to happen. But Mm. if you told me I was going to coach a national team one day, I probably would have said that wouldn't happen. I've never made too many plans, but... um, the game has uh, you know, taken me to some weird and wonderful places and I'm not going to question where the next destination may or may not be. Well, the next destination, <laughs> to be fair, you went to Japan. You're now in charge of one of the biggest teams in the world. It's funny because if I, if I asked you six years ago, Ange, who you would like to coach, and we were talking about passion, you said, oh, you know, if the opportunity arose to coach Liverpool, you could say that then. You were off the back of the Asian Cup, you were coaching Australia, but the world has changed because if, if Ange Postacoglu comes on the Howie Games now and says, I'd love to coach um, Liverpool, that's on the front page and the back page in Scotland. It's yeah. being reported in Europe. So it, it's a different world, isn't it, that you're in now, mate? Oh, very much so, mate. Um, yeah, no, it, it's funny listening to that because I, I, I've kind of had that, the sort of you know premise about my my career that um, some some ridiculous things have happened and you know I, I, if you actually if I went back and try to thought think logically of how it all came together I, I couldn't put the pieces there and then everything that's happened subsequent to the sort of our chat has just reaffirmed that even more because even now like you know we, without jumping too far ahead we played Real Madrid in the Champions League and. <laughs> You know, there's a connection with Ferenc Puskas, which goes back almost 30 years ago where one of the world's greatest footballers ends up in a suburban Melbourne club, yeah. you know, out of nowhere. You know, 30 years later, people are sort of linking that and into the fact that now I'm, you know, managing against Real Madrid in the Champions League. So all these kind of things have happened. And as you said, my world's changed now where uh, yeah, I've got to be more careful about what I say and, and what my ambitions may or may not be. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it's why I love sort of what I do and why, why I fell in love with the game, you know, as a little kid was that, uh, you know, I'd, I'd sit there and dream about one day, um, you know, doing what I'm doing today without really understanding that for that to happen, um, a ridiculous amount of stars needed to align. It's crazy. And I can't tell you how excited I am to have a chat with you. Um, and you're out here because the Sydney Super Cup is on at Accor Stadium. Sydney FC versus Celtic on November 17 versus Everton on November 20. People can buy tickets now. We'll speak about the Sydney Super Cup in a moment. But you can watch Ange in action. I listened back to your podcast this morning on the drive up from Barwon Heads and you were talking about your first gig and I remember it clearly coaching Paran High School as a 12-year-old because the music teacher couldn't be stuffed to coach the soccer team and now you've just dropped into the conversation a couple of weeks ago when I was coaching against Real Madrid. (laughs) Do you pinch yourself? I know it's a professional world but 
listening back to that podcast, it's your, <coughs> it's your old man, Jim, and he's brought you out from Greece and he loves South Melbourne. And now you're coaching against Real Madrid. Yeah, no, it is. It's, it's, it's crazy. And, you know, I have, I, I'm not the kind to sort of sit back and reflect too much, but every now and then I'll just sort of, um, you know, prompt myself to, to just have a think about where I am right now and where, where it all started. And, um, it is, it's, 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 uh, it's been a crazy sort of, uh, journey because when you go back to those days we, we spoke about again, you know, not covering what we've already spoken about, but you know, as a kid, I, I just put myself in these situations where I am now, you know, even, even as, you know, most kids sort of had this, uh, dream of playing. Mine was always veering towards coaching or managing. That was kind of where I felt, um, you know, my destiny was. And I would put myself in these situations of managing a big club, you know, in the Champions League and, and you know, um, in front of big crowds and all that sort of thing. And, and But you do that as a kid, just like any other kid bad, with these dreams. And, and so when you're living it and you're in that it's almost a surreal experience. You're going, well, I just shouldn't be here. You know, there's something, something's wrong here, but, but I obviously am. And, um, you know, it's, um, it's all part of it though. Uh, Howie, you know, when I, when I, when I do think about it, it's those early beginnings, my, my early life experiences, uh, you know, coming here as an immigrant, um, you know, the values I was brought up with, uh, both my father and, and living in, in Australia, um, are still, you know, very much part of me. I hope in this short period you're here and when you come back out for the Sydney Super Cup, as I said, people can buy tickets to it right now and see um, Celtic play Sydney FC and Everton. I hope you feel the love for what you have done for Australia as well as Australian football on the world stage. I hope you're getting a lot of that. I just know all, all of a sudden I'm looking up J-League to see how the Yokohama Marinos are going. And I'm like, what? Because you get a connection and it's like, yeah, I yeah. hope Ange's team won. And then all of a sudden I'm following what Celtic are doing. And um, I'm thinking, oh, geez, you're going to be a bit flat because they had their first loss the other day before he came out here after 360 yeah. odd days. Are you, are you, are you having people... If I was there in person, and I know this sounds ridiculous, I would give you a hug and say how much yeah. joy you've brought to the Australian sporting community, mate. It's it's bloody brilliant. Yeah, no, it is great. Um, again, because of the way life's been, particularly over sort of the last three, four years, I, I haven't been back home. No. So I kind of went straight from, you know, Japan, um, you know, COVID hit, and then, you know, I finished up in Japan, went straight to, to, to Glasgow and, and, and started work straight away and... You know, I haven't been able to come back home in between. So I, I, it's not that I've been disconnected with what, what's been happening here because obviously I've got family and friends here, but it's um, it's even taken me aback just how much people are now really on the journey with me. I, and I love that because, I, again, that was me as a kid latching on to any Australian sportsman in whatever they were doing. If yeah. they were venturing overseas or, or playing in tournaments, I'd you know, whether it was cricket, golf, you know, I'd latch onto them and, and go on the journey with them, and and the fact that people are doing that with me now is uh, is brilliant. I love it because again, that takes me back to my childhood. That takes me back to 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 my upbringing, and um, and yeah, it's it's been great. I, I I'm I'm really looking forward to coming back in November. Obviously, this is just a, a sort of flying visit, and I haven't even got home to Melbourne. Um, I won't be able to this trip either. So. I can't wait to get back there and just just reconnect with people who I know, you know, have been following me. I, I certainly get enough messages and, um, and and yeah, yeah, my closest mates, mate, who've been with me from you know day one, they've got a, 
the weirdest set of football shirt collections you can imagine, <laughs> mate, because they've had to change allegiances pretty often with, with me in charge. <laughs> the, the other thing you said in the podcast, so we spoke about your father, Jim, and your mum. Oh, I'm sorry to ask you this. Is your father still with you, Ange? No, I lost him. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, I lost him um, three years ago. Now it was. Um, sorry, mate, because at the time he wasn't that well when we spoke. No, so no, he wasn't. That. And um, and you know, as we spoke about, he's he's probably been the major influence in my life, mate. Both as a person and particularly sort of the journey I've taken as a as a football manager. And it, it, again, it's one of these things where um, you know he has he wasn't well for a while, and then I was in Japan, and um, you know it was mid season, and and. I got a call uh, from a sister that you know he's he he's not well and I need to fly back home from Japan and and I literally we had a game I think it was um, a Wednesday night and um, we played that game and and it was a ridiculous game we won seven two right hmm. and, and it was the biggest win we'd had for a long time and even for the club it was kind of a record but it was a it was exactly the kind of game old man would love because we're scoring goals and we're doing all the stuff that you know he wanted me to do as a and, he, and my sister said that, you know, it was literally the last game he watched. And I, I flew out. I think I was on the, the Wednesday night of the game. I flew out on the Thursday. <laughs> had a good day with him on Friday, which happened to be his birthday. And then, um, you know, he was still sort of alert and a little bit. And, and I lost him on, on Saturday. But um, it just, you know, again, shows me that, you know, there's something out there in the world that, that that's working its, its, its fingers of fate. And, um you know, the last game he saw was, you know, he, he, his son's team scoring seven goals, which I, I know would have pleased him no end. It's a, be- a beautiful story. And people need to go back and listen to episode 12 to, so you can get up to speed in Andrew's journey and his involvement. You also talked about your kids because we spoke about the fact that, that Jim, your dad, brought you out here and what it would be like bringing your family. And you're like, oh, geez, my kids are pretty young at that stage. You've got three boys, yeah? Yeah, yeah. One's old, but and he's kind of he's gone off on his own path. But the other two younger ones are with us. Yeah, they're eight and six now. Yeah. So you you said, Ange, mate. I I get stressed when we just go on a short holiday. I can't imagine <laughs> taking them overseas. Now, since then, you've taken them to Japan. You've taken them to Scotland. How are the young fellas rolling with this world and your beautiful wife Georgia in this world that you're giving them? Yeah, no, citizens of the world, our, yeah. our, our little blokes, mate. And uh, yeah, to be fair, they've got no choice. But um, <laughs> I think it's been great for them. I, you know, I um, obviously reflect on, on, on my childhood. And, and I, I think as much as it was such a massive struggle for, for my parents and how hard life was them, I, I really cho- cherish my childhood because, you know, I think, as I said at the time, it was just, I was outside playing, I was playing sport with my mates, you know, we didn't have to go inside at any certain time and, you know, daylight savings, we'd be either playing cricket till it was dark or, or, or playing football or Aussie rules, whatever it was. And and I, I just remember a real happy childhood and, you know, obviously the world's a bit different now and, and you know, taking our kids, you know, they literally started schooling in, in Japan at an international school, learning Japanese and <laughs> and now moving to 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 Scotland and, and, you know, pretty much joining a school that looks like Hogwarts. And um, and, and, the, and the Japanese <laughs> probably doesn't come in that handy there, no, to be no, fair, no. To be fair, neither does the English, mate, because they've <laughs> they got their own version of uh, the language in Scotland. So, so so my my two little wee guys uh, have got this American twang from Japan at their international school, now getting a Glaswegian twang, so they, they sound nothing like Australian. But I think it's been great for us as a family because, um, you know, once I finish with the Socceroos, uh, you know, it, it kind of finished, and it obviously finished, you know, fairly abruptly um, mm. without me going to the World Cup. And, and we had no set plans after, but, you know, with, with my wife, we just made a decision that, 
we're just going to hit the road and wherever it takes me, it takes me and we're going to sort of experience it as a family and however long it takes, it takes. And, you know, our first stop was Japan, which was, which was a fantastic experience for us as a family. And then, you know, we ended up now obviously in, in Glasgow and, and, you know, as long as I'm sort of doing what I'm doing, um, you know, I don't see us sort of really settling anywhere. Um, we're just used to as a family now sort of moving around. And I, like I said, I think for our boys in particular, it's been, uh, it's been a brilliant sort of upbringing. They've just got a real different outlook on life than, than, than sort of I had. Now, you better sit back and get comfortable because I've got some quick, I've got some serious <laughs> questions for you, Angela. I'm fascinated. Now that now that I follow the Yokohama Marinos in the paper, I, I want to know so many things. You get there, your first day at a new football club. You're a fella from Australia. You've coached the Socceroos. You're probably not at that stage known on the world stage. What do you do on your first day as an Australian coaching a Japanese club? What an experience, mate. Uh, everything I'd done up until that point meant I was totally unprepared for what was ahead, <laughs> right? Because, because I mean, a big part of me and, and you know, I think people who've sort of worked with me understand that I, I, I'm a big sort of, in a football sense or in, in, in my professional environment, I'm a big communicator in terms of telling a story, get people to buy into a vision and and really being able to motivate them apart from the technical stuff, being able to motivate them the right way. Now, the most valuable tool in that you, that you have is language and that's gone. That's taken me. Oh, I can't have a meeting, a one-on-one meeting with anyone without a third party involved, which is an interpreter who wow. not only has to interpret my words, but somehow has to get across the emotion and the context of what I'm saying to the person or a room full of people. And, you know, if we had a meeting and, and I spoke for 10 minutes, that meeting meant it had to go for 20 minutes. So you know, it was it was a real challenge for me at the start. But to be fair, I loved it. I, I thought, okay, this is, this is something new. I've got to find new ways of communicating. I've got to find new ways of, of getting a the same sort of messages and getting the same sort of connection with people when when language is taken away that sort of intimacy of of that ability to talk one-on-one and and or, or even to a group and and tell a story and get by in is taken away how do you get that connection and well, uh, hold that thought because i, mm. I want to know how you get that connection mm. but Ange, i'm going to take you again i'm taking you back <laughs> in, in the podcast so uh, you you may remember this or not that my kids at at stage of the podcast will ask a question Yep. I'm now going to play you the original question my daughter asked you. Now, this is a bit self-indulgent for me, Ange, but she was six at that stage. My young bloke was three. <laughs> so they're now 10 and 12. So this is the original question you got from Sky the Pickle, when she's six. Hi, Ange. Pickle here. I don't always do what my daddy tells me to do. <laughs> do the socceroos always do what you tell them to do? <laughs> Good question. And they do, but I have the same problem. The only time that I have zero control over anyone is in their household. <laughs> so you're the same as me then. I am certainly not the boss at home and, and it's very hard to cope with. So that, that was your original answer to the original yeah, question. Yeah, you, not you much ne- has changed, mate. Well, now you get the follow-up question from my little lady who's grown up. She's now 12, but she's asking you exactly what you're about to describe. Hi, Ange. Pickle here. When you first came on Dad's podcast, I asked you about how you communicated with the Aussie players and whether they always listened to you. But what I want to know is now that you've worked in Japan, how did you communicate with the Japanese players when they didn't speak much English? 
As a father, you could, you would note that that brings a tear to my eye because I've gone from a six-year-old to a twelve-year-old. She yeah. sounds very different, but this is yeah, what this sound. is what she wanted to know, and this is exactly the path we're going down, mate. Yeah, and and like I said, that was that was probably my my biggest my biggest challenge, and 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 to be fair, the the, the players knew zero English, and, and so like no, that, zero English, full zero, stop, zero, zero. There was nothing I could communicate that would even re- remotely get some sort of flicker of of understanding or. or <laughs> communication there and, and and if you want to add another one to it is that I had five foreigners in the team of which four were Brazilians who spoke no Japanese and 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 no English how's your Portuguese yeah zero and then um and then we've got an Indonesian player I signed who spoke no English no Japanese so when I would stand up and talk to a room full of players I had so I would give it a sentence the Japanese interpreter then would give that sentence out in Japanese the Portuguese and the Indonesian um, <laughs> translators had to wait for the Japanese guy to finish because they can't understand English to then interpret from the Japanese into their language. So wow. I've gone from – and I, I'm, I'm, when I talk, particularly when I'm talking to, to players, you know, I, I'm, I'm really conscious that, you know, what I want their attention, you know, there's silence in the room, there's eye contact, you know. I don't like people fidgeting when I'm talking. I don't talk much. You pay attention. <laughs> I've gone from that to me talking and about five people talking <laughs> in the background, noise, and me trying to really concentrate and frame a message. So, so that was the challenges I had. But I, I really found that after a while, there's, you know, I, I refined my message. I, I, I sort of, you know, limited the words I was using, bizarrely enough. And I'm the worst drawer in the world. I started drawing stick figures and and telling stories <laughs> through through pictures and. And they used to laugh, but it, it, it got the message across, you know. I, I just thought, well, it's still a connector. Somehow I, I would, you know, I would tell them a story about something that I wanted to to resonate with them about the kind of football team we wanted to be, the kind of players. And as I'd tell a story, I'd start drawing stick figures and, 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 and you know, get them to follow. And, and it was funny because, you know, after a while, it, it, they really, um, they really bought into it, the players, you know, they, they, they kind of understood it. And then, the first year, you know, I had an interpreter who worked pretty well, but by the second year, I figured I needed somebody different because whilst the information was getting across, I felt the emotion wasn't getting across. And then I had a guy who was already working with us um, as a player, as interpreter, and I really liked him. He had a really great personality, Yuchi. And um, I said, Yuchi, you come and work with me this year. And, you know, he, he bore right into it. By the end, he was he was more emotional than I was when I was talking at times. You might have seen the clip. He, he's the one where in, in a game of having a crack at the referee and yeah. the referee's come over and he didn't book me. He booked him because yeah, I didn't see that. <laughs> whatever I was saying, he went he doubled down. He went over the top and, and he got booked. But um, so, yeah, so that but, – but that really challenged me as a person. It challenged me as a, as a manager. Um, and, you know, I, when I got the Celtic job, you know, I just felt so, even more equipped at, at dealing with what I had to deal with because my messages had become so clear because I, I economised with my words. I found other ways through visuals, whether that was video analysis or, like I said, just drawing or, or to, to get a message across that, you know, I'd, I'd even become sort of more equipped as a communicator. Back to Ange in a moment. In recent times, I've spoken about various books on the show and lots of people have got in touch about certain reads bit of a book club style operation well here is one for you right now it is called a father's son 
Family, Football and Forgiveness. It's written by dual international Matt Rogers. Matt was a star in league and union, but this is a book about so much more than sport. We are privileged to have Matt on the show next week. His story is one to share with the whole family for so many reasons. But again, get your hands on his book first. You know, there's, there's a lot of joy that comes with having a, a child on the spectrum. It's not about, um, you know, for us, when we got that initial diagnosis and Max wasn't communicating and I, I felt like I lost my son. You know, I feel like you know, I just turning this like zombie in the house. You know, like, it's a silly comparison, but in a zombie movie, they don't, they don't look at you, they look through you and they're just walking around. Well, that was our Max, you know, and I felt like it was... Um, yeah, I just felt like he was gone, you know, like... But over time and hard work and early intervention treatment and, you know, we got our son back, I just felt... I just felt like there was a... That there was light at the end of the tunnel starting to get a little bit brighter. I just felt like we could, you know, make some progress. And every, every autistic child's different. There's a saying in the, in the autism world, if you've met one autistic child, you've met one autistic child. Because, hmm. yeah, every one of them, everyone is different. So please check out the book, A Father's Son. It is published by Simon and Schuster. You can get it right now. It is a fascinating read. You can hear Matt on the show next Thursday. Let's get back to Ange. Tell me about football and passion in Japan. We'll obviously get to Scotland and we've seen those pictures, but you know, I looked at some of the, the uh, Yokohama games, including when you won, which we'll get to, but a passionate football crowd... Different kind of passion, yeah. It's still very passionate. We our supporters were, were brilliant. Um, home away, um, you know, they would follow us. They're they're so supportive of the team. Um, yeah, they love their football club. They idolise the players. Um, yeah, they were really supportive of me. So it was passion, but you know, it was it was a different kind of passion. So the other thing about going to a place like Japan is, you know, it's, it's a totally different culture than than sort of I. Grew up in Australia. Um, yeah, it's a lot more conservative. Uh, mm. Yeah, people less open and social, but very respectful. You know, an unbelievably respectful um, people, and, and and so welcoming, and in the way they they treated me. But um, they showed their passion in different ways. So, you know, we would give you an example. We would travel to an opposition ground on our bus, and the opposition supporters would be waiting for us out the ground, clapping us to the ground. You know. I, I can tell you it's totally different when you when we're travelling by bus, it's, it's with Celtic. You go into some of the opposition, uh, they're outside the grain, ground waiting for us but for different reasons, right? Or, you know, it, you know, whether the team won or lost, they would, we, you know, the team was still obliged to walk around and bow and, and they would clap us. And at times, I, at the beginning, I found that frustrating because the first year I was there was, was a bit of a struggle and we'd lost a lot of games, but the players are still getting clapped off and I'm going, this isn't working, guys. Oh, how am I going to get these guys moving, you know? that You should be feeling some pain. And, and But I then understood that, you know, they still felt the pain and uh, of not winning but in a different way. So even culturally for me, it was, it was brilliant because I had to adapt to them and I had to embrace the culture that I was in if I was really going to get the majority of the players obviously were Japanese. If I was really going to connect with them, I couldn't just go in there and, and – and coach the way I've coached in the past. So, huh. um, you know, like I said, there was there wouldn't be there'd be only a handful of moments where I'd be walking down the street, even though everyone recognised me, that somebody would actually approach me and ask me for a selfie or for an autograph. They just wouldn't do it. You know, it's just not part of their culture. But 
they all still knew who I was and, and they were still very passionate about their team, but it was just a totally different existence. And what did the players, what did they call you? Like here in Australia, it's coach in England, it seems to be the gaffer. Like what, what are the Japanese, yeah. what, how do they address you? Yeah. So I've gone from, from coach and, and, and I was, uh, in, I was boss in, um, in, uh, in Japan and now I'm gaffer. So boss. I've done the full spectrum of, uh, of all these uh, terms, and uh, yeah, it, it was it was easier for them to to call me boss. I gave them the option, and you know whether they it was either going to be Angie's son or uh, or something along those lines. They weren't going to go with Poster Cogley. No one's done that. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, they 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 really sort of respected the fact. You know, they, like I said, there's a real respect in their society. There's a hierarchical system in terms of you know even age. You know, you always defer to the older person, and and there's a real respectful nature, and and they felt really comfortable calling me boss, and sort of that's that's the the moniker I was going to walk walking around with. I quite like Angie's son. I might stick with that a little <laughs> bit. So, you, mate, you win the J League title, 2019, you defeat FC Tokyo three nil in the last round to to wrap it all up. Um, memories of that. I had a look at it this morning. The Marinos have the wind in their sails. It is over, and FC Tokyo know it is over. And Postacoglu is now a matter of minutes away from leading the Marinos to their fourth J League title. Big crowd, big crowd. Yeah, yeah, we had we had a massive crowd, and um, it was it was it was it was brilliant because you know the club hadn't won anything. For, well, they hadn't won the championship for fifteen years, and um, you know they hadn't sort of been had, had any success for for a little while, so. It was quite significant. It was one of it's one of the I think only three clubs that originally started in the J League. Um, mm. So it's one of the the most famous clubs, but hadn't had a lot of success. So to bring success to the club after fifteen years was, yeah, it was pretty special, mate. And and you know we won it you know, on that last day, as you said, we we won three nil against FC Tokyo, who was second at the time, and you know we played really well, played our football for a decade and a half. The Marinos were lost at sea. But here in the great maritime city of Yokohama, their ship has finally come in. J-League champions for a fourth time. And it is one of the most spectacular triumphs that this country has ever seen. Just really, um, yeah, a real sort of self-satisfaction for myself because I knew how difficult that task was. Um, when a lot of the skills that I'd acquired, like I said, up until that point, hadn't really prepared me for being in a country where communication was going to be such a challenge to to overcome that and and to share it with a group of people that I did, and you know I had some 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 friends and, and family over for that game as well, which was was pretty cool, and you know we did a walk around the ground after the game with 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 the boys and um, and Georgia, and uh, just seeing the appreciation that 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 the fans had sort of for what we'd achieved was, was brilliant. Um, and it was a great group of players because as I said, I, it was a group of people that I, I could never have a one-on-one conversation with. And yet we had a really strong connection, you know, because even, even, you know, if you, if you want to have a discussion with a player about his form or about, you know, you're leaving him out of the team or he's going well, there was always that third person that was with you the whole time to, to relay this, this message, but we still formed a really strong bond. And, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed my time there. It, it challenged me, but it, it helped me sort of evolve, not just as a, as a, as a, as a manager, but as a person. What was the Japanese food you fell in love with? Was there one that got you? 
we were fans before we went. Bizarrely, again, like living in Australia, we we, we kind of loved our tapenyaki and yep. and uh, and the and 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 the boys got into the sushi pretty quickly, um, especially my oldest Max. Um, but it's a different level there, mate. I mean, right. teppanyaki and sushi there. I mean, you go to a local supermarket and you'll pick up a, a packet of sushi that's top quality. So <laughs> it's, uh, I enjoyed my food and, and you know, with Georgia, we, we, we're kind of on the weekends because Yokohama is probably about 20, 25 minutes from Tokyo. We, you know, we, whenever I had a day off, we'd drive into Tokyo, leave the kids with, um, um, with its babysitter and we just hit any eatery that, you know, was, was, was special and, uh, it, it it cost me a bomb. I didn't make a lot of money in Japan, but because it's a very expensive place, take a. But it was it was another quality that the food was great. In that period, there's um I've done a lot of reading, Angie, and what you've been up to in six years. <laughs> Were you approached to coach the Greek national team? Yeah, there was there was a few things happening at the time. Um, sort of particularly sort of after I won it, um, which was the second year I was there. Does that just open doors? Does all of a sudden yeah, you, you're it, not a bloke a from Australia? Bit. A little bit. But not into the European market. Yeah, no, Howie. It was still <laughs> it was still some massive blockages there. So, so you know, at the time, you know, the guy kind of looks after me in that sense, Frank Trimbley, who's an Aussie who's, you know, who's, who's living in, been living in London for 20 years, one of the top sort of player management agencies in the world now. Um, you know, we connected probably about the same time I did the podcast with yep. you. I think it was about two fifteen, two sixteen, and yep, spot on. You know, he was he was determined to get me to to Europe. Right, he, his his goal. It wasn't like he was going to make a hell of a lot of money out of me as as a, as a football manager from Australia, but he was determined to get me over there. And he was constantly knocking on doors. And and during that time, I was making trips over to Europe, particularly the UK, because that's where he was based. And he would introduce me to people, and literally blank faces, mate, no idea who I was, what I was doing. This is after sort of. The Socceroos this is after I'd won the, the the title in Japan. This is after you've coached the national team. Yeah, yeah, no idea, mate. No, you know, it was just blank faces, zero recognition, and, and I'd discuss it with with Frank, you know, quite yeah, you know, all the time. I said, mate, I, I just don't think this is going to happen. I said, maybe, maybe my future is sort of here in Asia. You know, I mean, you know, financially it was it was it was great for me, and just you know, challenging myself in Asia. I thought, you know, maybe that's where my career is going to take me that, you know, I'll, I'll sort of base myself on this side of the world. And, but he was going, nah, you know, you, it'll happen, mate. Doors will open. And, and he was constantly, you know, knocking on those doors. And, and obviously the only chance I had was where was there a connection? And as you said, there was obvious connection in Greece. And, and there was a, there was a couple of times where Greek national team and a couple of clubs, you know, had shown some initial sort of, um, you know, uh, interest in me and, and so for the same, people that aren't aware, they need to go back and listen. Andrew was born in Greece, so I, I imagine yeah. I imagine there's some ties here. And your, your father, a very proud Greek man, and your mother, Absolutely, a very proud yeah, Greek woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and as I've got older, I've you know I've got sort of yeah, how can you say it like more Greek in myself in yeah. in, in, in the way I think, the way I live. Yes, yeah. You know, I love Greek music now. I love Greek as you know. I think we discussed it on the podcast. Podcast, but growing up, you want to fit in, mate. So. Yeah. I you you were on. talking about taking yeah. the Greek food out of your lunchbox. Which oh, mate, the Greek cheese. Heart. I'd yeah. open up the lunchbox and people would run away, you know. <laughs> it's a Greek kid with his smelly cheese. and uh, <laughs> so, so, mate, I just wanted to fit in. So for me it was, you know, get a meat pie, listen to cold chisel and try and be as Aussie as you possibly can, you know. And um, and as I've got older and you know, obviously I started making trips to Greece, it, it, I, I realised because my dad sort of always had this pull to go back there one day that he, he felt – 
you know, that's that's who he was. And I felt more and more connected to to Greece and, and obviously, you know, I coached there for a little bit and, and sort of learned the language I got better at, which which was great. So so I've always had an obvious connection there and I think there's always been an interest in me there because I was born in Greece. So that sort of opportunity we were thinking, well, maybe something might happen there, but but Greek football is very volatile. You, yes. you get a job there, and a month later you, you've lost your job. You know, it's pretty much as volatile as, as the time. economy. Yeah, exactly right. Um, and so we just thought, well, okay, there's interest there. It's almost that would be our last chance saloon if, if if nothing else ever came up. And like I said, after we won the title, um, my second year with, with Georgia, we kind of sat down and said, all right, what's the next move? And we were just determined that Europe needed to be our destination at some point, especially while the boys were young. So hmm. we'll just wait and see what, what sort of came our way. And I, I got not disheartened, but I just thought that I got to a point where I've done all these trips, met all these people, you kind of network and it's just not registering at all. I just thought, I just don't think it's ever going to happen. So you're a big AFL man. There's, as we're doing this in uh, three days, two days before the AFL grand final, coaches, clubs, Essendon's looking for a coach, right? And there's application processes, et cetera. To, to get a job at Celtic, they, they come to you. How does it work? And do you go and present? And is there a constant presentations? Or how does it work, yeah. Ange? Fascinated. No, I'm fascinated it, by this. Yeah, no, it, it, it doesn't for the most part. To be fair, the AFL world's pretty unique, mate. I, I, I sat in, uh, I was actually part of um, the process at, at Carlton. Uh, they, the, they were kind enough to, to put me on a panel when they were appointing, uh, when they were appointing Brendan Bolton. Yep. And uh, for me, I wanted to do it because just to see the process of how it works in the AFL. And, and it, it's very, very thorough. It is, you know, coaches put in the presentation, you know, two or three interviews with different, um, you know, um, suitors in terms of mm. the people and connect to the club football world is a bit different it's 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 more about well if they've already identified you as a potential candidate and then it's about you sitting down and and sort of talking with a, the key communicators and uh, the club the key decision makers which usually for the most part in football it's either a, a chairman or an owner or a majority shareholder who's the, the main sort of decision maker or it might be a combination of that and a, a sporting director. That's kind of how it works. So, and was Celtic the first club you'd done this with? Or no, you... no, no, oh, no. So, I, 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 so Frank, uh, Frank give, give me was a number. Hard. Give, yeah, give, so give me a I, number probably, of clubs. I've probably done by the time the Celtic one came along. There's probably about serious ones. Probably about four I'd done. Um, and so you got four no's. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I got a yes, but I knocked it back. Um, you don't want I to got, say who with? Nah, yeah. And uh, I got um, I got close with a couple of others uh, down to the sort of final two. But there was others that, that, that I call semi-serious because Frank would, like I said, he would just try and get me in front of anyone. And there was one that I did with an English club, which I won't name, a championship club where, yeah. you know, I, as you do, I, I just prepare thoroughly anyway. You know, what are they going to ask me? You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm prepared for every question. So I'm set down and it was like, it was really late in, in Tokyo. It was probably about 11 p.m. because in, in, in the UK it would have been about lunchtime and Frank said, look, you yeah, got a meeting with this sporting director, make sure you're prepared. You know, they're going to ask you questions about the, the league, about the club. And he knows I'm all over it anyway, but he goes, but just, you know, so I'm there and I've sat down in the kitchen, the kids are asleep. Anyone who's lived in Japan knows that the apartments aren't big, mate. So, <laughs> you know, everything's, walls are paper thin. So I've got the headphones on, I've set myself up in the kitchen, I've got a laptop, I've got a an iPad, all this information and I'm waiting for the Zoom 
meeting to, to sort of start and I press, you know, accept. And as soon as I pressed accept, I knew that this is not going to happen, right? Because the first thing I heard was the guy indicator in the car so i figured out he's in the car driving somewhere <laughs> he's not taking this seriously he's just doing a frank a favor <laughs> so, so i just closed the laptop I, I put the ipad down i just had a quick conversation and and to be fair um they probably made the wrong decision they missed out not me um but Spot that on. was kind of what i was going through at the time and and because i'd sort of i had two or three of those and then the ones that got serious again i missed out in the last couple because they inevitably went with someone with European experience. The the big knock on me was he's never coached in Europe. He and how were you taking that? Experience. How were you taking that edge? Look, I after you know, like I said, I, I was never disheartened, but it just felt like to me, okay, well, this is not going to happen. And it's not going to happen, not because of my ability or, or my belief in myself. It's just, I'm just not going to get an opportunity. It's a, it's a rare type of sporting snobbery, isn't it? That because it is, a yeah. bloke doesn't come from a geographic location, he can't do the job. And it's as simple and as basic as that. It was geography that was denying me an opportunity because if you just take away that yeah. and look at sort of accomplishments and, and where I'd coached. And, and style, and were, the style correct, you play which, which is Which is evident. You just have to watch the team. It's not me talking about it. Yeah. You can see that, you know. Um, so I just didn't feel because they just said, well, you know, they, they have it as such a big thing. Well, he's never coached in Europe. And so we got to the point where, you know, Again, Georgia and I said, well, what are we going to do here? I said, we're either going to, you know, this is going to be our odyssey staying in Asia and, and sort of, you know, sort of doing well financially, which is not a, a bad thing. You know, we all want to look after our families or, or we just go to Europe and we just sit there in, in some location and if a little, the littlest of the club comes along, I take over and, and at least I, I've got European experience and maybe that opens some doors. So, so that's kind of what we resigned ourselves to, but. I, if you had asked me hand on heart, probably a month before the Celtic thing came through, I would have said that I don't think it's ever going to happen for me. I think it's it, it's going to be an alternative path. That's it for Ange P. The next chapter, part A. Things are only just warming up, though, so do not be missing part B.